quiet your mind. Ever since the Earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But three brave, uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of Mantis. to one and to all. This is Don Amanda's podcast, Ivan with Joe and Sam. I've been waiting all week to hear the conclusion of this episode. As have I been waiting to read it. Yeah. So you left us on the cliffhanger last time. What do we have, Joe? Well, first of all, first of all, you just glossed right over. We are in 2022. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. This is going to be your year, whoever's listening. To the guy listening, that cute little barista that you've been trying to talk to at Starbucks forever, she's finally going to notice you. And she's not only going to notice you, but she's probably going to marry you at some point. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. And all probably your... end up getting divorced. Well, you yeah. lose half your stuff. Well, of course. It'll be really bitter. You might have one kid and you'll fight over it in a bitter custody battle, but it'll all be worth it. It will be. So will don't be. shy so, away. So don't even, yeah, do what you would do normally. Don't yes. let us, we don't want to alter the future. We don't want to graze almanac your life, you know? Exactly. From Back to the Future too. Don't let us skew your life. Just do what you would do. It's going to be your year. It's going to be great. It's, this year's going to be good, right? Whatever goals you have set, you're going to achieve those goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay? you are. We have some goals, don't we, guys? Yeah. Uh, New Year's resolutions. Go, Ivan. Now. One, two, three. Bam. I want to be nicer to everyone. <laughs> Sam. I really do. Sam, you're next. Go. I want a Canada Dry sponsorship. There we go. Yeah. I was kind of selfish. I should ask one for the team, huh? Should I yeah. know someone? To, what's yours, Joe? I want to be able to do a push-up with no hands. Oh. So working on that. I'm surprised yeah. Ivan didn't want a uh, bidet sponsorship. Yes. Oh, yeah. What's yeah. a bidet company? What company uh, manufactured your bidet? It's like, I think it's called Lux, L-U-X-E. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. Not yet, though. Um, I could think of a lot of things to say to to drive your sales up. If to I, shower you with more sales. If I had a bidet company, my logo would be a kangaroo, and it would say bidet mate like that. Bidet mate. That would be our tagline. Maybe Ken could start that. Well, I guess I don't know. Maybe we should do that here. It wouldn't be so good in Australia because they're probably tired of the kangaroo <laughs> uh, stereotype. That's not a bidet. I don't know this though. They, they, they've they've <laughs> had like a, a gecko for a while, right? Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Crocodile Dundee is the, Paul Ho. Is it Paul Hogan? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's the spokesman. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. Well, no, he didn't even know what it was because he goes, oh, there's two dunnies in here. And she's like, no, one dunny, one bidet. I forgot all about, I forgot about that bidet sequence. Oh, it's for your backside. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's it's for washing your backside. That's a perfect sponsorship, though, because people will remember the movie. And it's like maybe he was introduced to it then Mm -hmm. and he's been using it. For years. Ever since. Yeah. <laughs> we should work for an advertising company. Bidet, mate. Yeah, that's so awesome. It sells Joe, itself. Why do you give this stuff away for free? And it comes with laser pointer technology to get that bullseye on the brown eye. Bam. There you go. My my one on clearance gets that. It's, <laughs> like I said last week, two for two. My wife and I hit us both right where it needed to. 
and we're different shaped people. How in the name of Christ does that happen? I want to know. I think they have toilets in the test facility and they have all their people test and they like make adjustments and then they get it to where it's perfect. So you think, think there's a camera underneath it's dialed it? in. No, it's not a camera. They just know. I mean. So you know, they're just like. I mean, it's not. Carol, is that hitting your butthole yet? No, it's on the right cheek. 10 degrees to the left. Yeah, see? Trial and error. All right, hold on. Oh, nope, not the butthole, definitely. Oh, Go back and, a little. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that was You may want to cut this, but there a is a knob joke. you can turn where it goes to, like, front spray. And I figured out I didn't like that one. Did you wash so your balls? Yeah, it kind of it tainted me. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't trying to be funny. <laughs> tainted love, oh. But, yeah, it kind of got me there. I was like, oh, there's no need. For, there's nothing there. That front spray is for every lady, and you know, I know it. You exactly. know it. But, so that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's ready for that mode if someone needed that. I just don't. That level's called who needs a man. <laughs> and and <laughs> I'll skip right past that. I've never been past the three. I, I Well, one time I went all the way to, like, which I think is 10, and I regretted that. So it's like... I mean, I'm saving water too. I'm not probably not even using using as much as everyone else. Probably not. So I know that's two weeks in a row with bidet talk. Yeah, bidet, mate. Yeah, very all good. right. Maybe that should be a new segment. How's my bidet? Or call it bidet, mate. Bidet, mate. And I give you an update. Yeah. I mean, right now the one I got is twenty five dollars on clearance at Walmart. You guys should go get you one. I'm telling you, and I don't even like to advertise for Walmart. <laughs> Bleep that out where I said that. Yeah, well, they they need sponsorship. We throw them a bone. Well, I, I think they do because Amazon's still kicking their tail. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, we hope everyone had a great and yet responsible new year. But we are going to continue. We're going to open up 2022. It's going to be a hell of a year, y'all. Great things are in store for Dawn of Mantis. You just wait and see. That's right. Right? This mm-hmm. is our year. This this is our time. It's like the secret, you know, that's that documentary where you can will it into existence. Yeah. Number one on iTunes. Lick my boots, Joe Rogan. Yeah. What do we have? Uh, we're going to do part two uh, of our episode on Evan Tanner. All right. UFC middleweight champion and walking contradiction. All right. I like it. Nice title. Four months after beating David Terrell, it was time for Evan's first title defense. And who should it be against other than his old nemesis, Rich Franklin? Oh, the teacher. Yes. Now, as former, uh, hopefully you've listened to part one of this or, you know, if you haven't go back, but uh, Rich beat Evan the first time they met. Mm -hmm. He took his belt over two years prior when he TKO'd him at UFC 42. And now he was after Evan's title once again. The battle lasted much longer than their first, but was unfortunately stopped late in the fourth round due to a bad cut over Evan's eye. It is thought that Evan did not train as hard for the fight as he should have, and another curious thing was his strategy. Evan was good with his hands, but his bread and butter was his wrestling and submissions. He was a great ground and pound. But for some reason, Evan chose to stand with Franklin the entire fight, which even puzzled the commentators that night. They talked about it. By the fourth round, Evan's face was a bloody mess and the doctor stopped the bout due to a nasty cut over his eye. Rich Franklin has take, had taken his title a second time. Aside, go away, I take your title a second time. Sorry, that's what he said. <laughs> Aside from being a title fight, the winner of the bout was also going to be the coach of one of the teams of the second season of The Ultimate Fighter, mm. with Matt Hughes being the coach of the other. Yeah. Okay. So it could have been Team Hughes versus Team Tanner. Also, first Monty Python reference of the year right there. Hey, yeah. 
New year, new reference. <laughs> there we go. I like it. <laughs> Around the time Evan left Team Quest, another important relationship in his life ended as well. I've only mentioned her briefly, but Evan's girlfriend, Danita, had been by his side through all of this. The highs, the lows, the championships, the defeats. I'm sure Evan was not an easy man to be with. He was quiet, distant, always a loner, and of course his alcoholism was lurking. After over seven years, Danita left. She said in later interviews that in that entire time, over seven years, Evan never once said, I love you, to Mm. her. But she said that she knew he did. Yeah. I think I told my wife I loved her on like our third phone conversation. <laughs> a little coming out a little strong, Joey, but something worked, right? Every time I got accused of that, I would just pull out my Walkman and I would play more than words. <laughs> Listen to these lyrics. Yeah. I don't have to say it. It's not the words that think you want to hear. <laughs> So it, did, uh, it doesn't work. Were you a were you a never did say it or like me? Where on your second conversation you were like, ah, I love you. I think I love you. I've thought about it. I eventually said it, but I didn't say it early. I was usually late to say it. Yeah, I said I love you prematurely, much like I do everything else. All righty then. Uh, just kidding. Four months after losing the belt to Rich Franklin, Evan returned to the UFC and lost against David Luiso. It was obvious that many things in his life had affected him negatively. The split with Team Quest, losing Danita, and his worsening dependency on alcohol. He was able to tap out Justin Levins via triangle choke at UFC 59 in April of 2006, but Evan knew something had to change. The following is, a, uh, is from a message Evan sent to a friend of his. The friend was uh, filmmaker John Hersfeld, and it goes as follows. I've been on the road for almost a year, sleeping in spare bedrooms, on couches, on the floor, wherever I could. I've been constantly running, searching. I was with a woman for seven years. We were engaged to be married. I came home one night, and there were trucks outside the house and strange men loading up all her things. I'd sold all of my furniture when she and I started living together, so when she left, she left an empty house. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. All I did was pace around the house at night, looking at the impressions in the carpet, where the couch sat, where the bed was placed, where everything used to be. A constant reminder of what used to be. Then I accepted the fight at UFC 59. It gave me focus for a time, but afterwards, there was nothing. I fell into a deep depression and traveled all over the country trying to run from it. Some would say it was a wasted year. They said that, but in this year, I have begun to write again. Hmm. So, yeah. You know a song that I don't know if we've talked about that always hits me really hard is that Yard Sale song by Sammy Kershaw. Have we At talked no about it on the podcast? says Yard Sale. Yeah, that song is a heavy hitter. Yeah. Really. You know, we it's haven't talked about that song. Imagery of what he's seeing and what he's, you know, yard sale prices for each golden memory. It's a great oh, song. Wow. Yeah. I like I think you guys do too, Sammy Kershaw. Sold the bidet I bought her on our anniversary. I know. Yeah. Uh, if I go, I'm taking that bidet though. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Uh, wherever in my tea <laughs> so I can hook it up <laughs> he even took the tea <laughs> so this gives us a very clear idea of where Evan was in his life at this point he had never conquered his alcoholism but with Danita gone he spiraled downward rapidly but it was also around this time in his life that Evan became deeply involved in something constructive for him Unbelievably, because for a lot of people, it's not constructive, but it was social media. Okay. Uh, Now, look, at this time, social media was not what it is now, by the way. Yeah. 
wasn't a cancer to society back then? Yes. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Like us on Twitter, by the way, and Instagram. <laughs> We're such hypocrites. <laughs> by, by the way, it wasn't even really called social media back in 2003. But that was when the MySpace platform was oh, created. Old Tom in the white t-shirt. Yes. Did you guys have a MySpace? Oh, yeah. yeah. I yeah. created one, and then, I don't know, I created it, and I checked it once or twice, and then I forgot about it. The one thing that I still like about MySpace over Facebook is you could put your favorite jam on it. Oh, yeah. So whenever somebody went to your MySpace page, it would play, like, your song that you liked yep. the most at the time. Yep. Oh, yeah. Until you click on it and it plays some BC Boys song in the office and it's blast real loud. Yeah. I remember going to Sam's page back in the day, clicked on it. It's like, I like big butts and I cannot lie. And I was like, damn, mm-hmm. Sam. It's crazy. The song hits hard. It hits hard. Mm-hmm. Had that, my two 12-inch subs in the back. In their, in their plywood. Sir, in Vegas. No, 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 not plywood. Particle board with carpet. <laughs> Amp in the middle with a piece of books glass and yep. a red light shining on a lamp. Yep. Boss. Dude, I built a, a, yeah, I built one specifically for a 71 El Camino. Yeah. Because, you know, the 71 El Camino has that lovely uh, human body sized oh, cavity yeah. right behind the seat. And I built, I filled it all up. And I had no less than four six by nines in there, my friend. Oh, yeah. Four. I like six by nines. Because this the radio that you put in, the Jensen stereo, yeah. had a front left, front right, rear left, rear right. And I ran all four back to the, Four Ooh. six by nines. You're I was the shit. Danger. I was the shit. Just kidding. So yeah, this is this is around two thousand. Okay, so a, a little history on MySpace. Maybe we have some younger listeners that are like my who. It wasn't called social media back in two thousand three, but that's when the MySpace platform was created. And by two thousand five, it was widely used and only climbed in popularity until the pinnacle of its popularity in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. So Evan used MySpace to do something he rarely did in his life: communicate. It turned out that Evan was incredibly articulate and quite a prolific writer, and his MySpace blog quickly grew in readership. Great readers are great writers, usually. You know, they just see the great examples, and then they replicate that. Yeah, and we talked about earlier how he was reading all these classics. Sure, yeah. So that had to have helped. Great vocabulary, great usage, all those types of things. Well, despite the demons he was battling and the losses he'd suffered online, Evan acted almost like a self-help guru to many of his fans. He unveiled plans to open his own foundation in Oregon, where selected fighters could all live, train, and spend all their time on site. They'd all wear the same uniform, adhere to the same schedule, and follow Evan's power of one philosophy. Former Team Quest teammate Chael Sonnen told him, quote, that's not a training camp, that's a cult, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something you'd say. It is, yeah. I, I actually looked up that interview and it's hilarious. Due to some bad experiences early on, though, the training camp never materialized. Aw. I know. Evan did continue his heavy presence on MySpace, though, where he gave life advice, urged people to never give up, and basically used the platform to promote his power of one philosophy. He also opened up about his struggles and his lifelong feeling of not quite knowing where to go or what to do next. He fancied himself a seeker, a nomad, and a philosopher. On October 1st, 2007, Evan used his blog to open up about his drinking and his determination to get his life back together. He wrote the following, I am setting a date. I have been drinking like a madman for 15 years. I'm done with it. I'm setting a date. It has ruined my career. 
It has ruined my health. I have lost the respect of my peers. I've lost my family. I've lost so many friends. I have lost the women I have loved. I have been arrested, wrecked cars, spent nights in jail, gotten into fights, gambled and drunk away hundreds of thousands of dollars. Rage like a beast, talk like a fool. I lost my home, gone deep into debt, ruined my credit, and now I'm at risk of losing the last few things I own. I have destroyed my life. All because of my drinking. I have made so many mistakes. I have disappointed so many who believed in me. Embarrassed so many who loved me. Almost everything bad that can be said about a man has been said about me. I am done with it. I'm setting a date. There will be those of you who understand me, who will hear me. There will be those of you who laugh and ridicule. I am willing to bear the weight of that if any of these words might reach anyone, might have meaning to anyone, if this vision might give hope to anyone. I choose to believe. I will always believe there is some magic out there. I will always believe there is some magic within me. If we stop believing, our spirits die. I refuse to let my spirit die. I choose to believe. I'm setting a date. I'm setting a date, and on that day, I will stop drinking. That will be the day I begin to be a better man. That will be the day I begin to find the best of me. That will be the day I begin to find the best of what life can be. I want to find the magic. Join me. If you want to make a change in your life, join me. If any of you want to find the best of yourself, join me. If you want to find your own magic, join me. I'm going to quit drinking, get back into training, and step back into the octagon again. And when I do, it will be dedicated to all of you who have the courage to believe in the best of what you can be. All of you who have the courage to stand up with me and face your fears and weaknesses. We will stand shoulder to shoulder, an unconquerable army. Believe in what you can do, and it will happen. I'm setting a date. It has been said that I'm done, that I will never fight again. It has been said that I have no chance of ever being a champion again. I refuse to accept that. I challenge you to believe in yourself. I challenge you to do what they say cannot be done. Join this army of unconquerable souls. I choose to believe, and I am setting a date. Wow. You know that had to help some people. Yes. Even if it helped one guy or girl, you know? It helped quite a few. He had a following. Yeah. Maybe someone could hear that from us, you know? You know, it's his, but just recycle it again, and that could help somebody that needs it. Yeah. Yeah, there was, uh, I can't, oh, the name escapes me right now. I watched a documentary on Evan that was awesome. They interview, like, several people who discovered Evan through the blog or were fans and were, like, you know, followed him through his blog. Oh, wow. And they're, like, crying, and they were, they were like, yeah, Evan's blog helped me through a, a rough time in my life, or, or Evan's blog saved my life because I was about to commit suicide, you know? Yeah. And then a lot of these people would message him, and one of, one of the guys that he ended up being pretty close with was, was uh, I can't remember his name, but he said, I'm a fellow fighter, but I'm, you know, I'm just like an up-and-comer, and would you come be in my corner? And Evan, like, flew to this guy's house and, and cornered for him, you know? Like he wow. had the former UFC heavyweight champion of the world. And uh, That's awesome. He would do that. Like, he wasn't just all talk. He would go reach out and, like, help these people. And, I mean, so just from, like, reading and listening to Alan Watts, I mean, his he had an alcoholism thing that 
claimed his life eventually. Oh, really? So I remember at one time when I found that out, I remember thinking, having this thought in my head, which which is not healthy, that, well, I'm listening to this guy that made terrible mistakes and, you know, his life ended, you know, what? Almost like, should I follow, Should I listen to this guy? Should I read this guy? But then it's like, wait a second. What are you going to do? Pick around and like find someone perfect? You're just going to listen to someone that, which that's, that doesn't exist. But I mean, it doesn't lessen it. Everyone has troubles, even if they can give great advice. I mean, that's probably why they can give great advice because they have struggle. And, and Evan's obviously an example of that. Maybe they're even giving such great advice and they don't even follow it themselves. Yeah, exactly. That's probably what you just said in a more Well, yeah. Way. I mean, it's like that stuff takes hold. I mean, it changes you chemically. It changes your brain. You know, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's a disease. Yeah, and not only a disease, isn't it true that like out the withdrawal from alcohol can f- literally kill you? No, I, I think. I mean, I think it just, you know, your body is a in a balance, homeostasis balance in any time any chemical can mess with that balance, then you spiral kind of out of control. So yeah, yeah complications from it, I, I would imagine, yes. yes. Yeah, I read I read at one point somewhere that I think the worst maybe is alcohol. It's like right up there with heroin or something. It's yeah. after, and I'm talking like a lifelong, once you've crossed the point of no return, the withdrawal from, your, your body's so dependent on it. And there was a uh, an intervention episode that I watched one time on a guy and when he withdrew from alcohol alcohol sorry uh he died he did die it was yeah. one of those rare ones where the person actually passed away yeah it throws your body into some kind of weird cycle yeah it's hard to imagine that it's crazy poor guy well for about 2 years Evan had really lost his battle with alcoholism and his life had suffered for it at the time that he wrote this blog he was wrecked But even during this time, he was helping people and fostering young fighters, like I was just talking about. There's no shortage of interviews out there with people who called Evan Tanner a friend, a coach, guru, even a father figure. All this for a guy whose closest friends still say they barely even knew him. Evan fought two more times and lost each one to Yushin Okami in UFC 82 and finally to Kendall Grove on June 21st, 2008. In this post-fight interview, Evan brought up his alcoholism and said he wondered if the previous two years of hard drinking had damaged his body beyond the point that he could no longer compete at that level. Just wonder if it caught up with him, one of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it finally did, you know, because he was getting, not up in age, but for a fighter, you know, mid to late 30s is up in age. Mm-hmm. By the way, this would also be the last time Evan Tanner ever entered the octagon was against Kendall Grove. And losses to Yushin Okami and Kendall Grove... It's yeah, that no. my God, that's two of the huge badasses. Yeah, you think maybe fight someone lesser and fight your way back in, but you know I, you can't say oh you shouldn't have let him fight someone so tough. You know, you, right. that's not the that's not the sentiment of of any of that. Yeah, but just I just it's just something you think about. Yeah, and talk about I don't know why didn't they let him in on a little bit lesser caliber? It's like you're, you're coming back. You should know Kami. <laughs> but they knew he was talented, though. I mean, yeah. it proved, I mean, he'd, he won a title, so. Yeah, that's true. So I guess you wouldn't make him go back too far. That's true. That's yeah. a good point. Well, there's no way to know for sure, but many who knew him believe that by the summer of 2008, Evan was stone sober and had been for a while. 
By that time, he was living in Oceanside, California, and his friends and neighbors there all stated that they never saw him drink at all. Even when it was offered to him, he would say no. Whatever that date was that he set for his sobriety, I'm hoping he did set it and met it. He also made another announcement on MySpace. Ever the wandering soul, Evan had decided to take a trip deep into the desert. He outlined his route and revealed he'd be going, as he put it, quote, so deep into the desert that the slightest mistake could cost me my life. Reading this, several fans expressed fear for his safety. Sure. Evan responded, quote, Come on, guys. This isn't a version of Into the Wild. I'm not going out into the desert with a pair of shorts and a bowie knife to try to live off the land. I'm going fully geared up, and I'm planning on having some fun. And to think, there are still places in the world where man has not been, where he has left no footprints, where the mysteries stand secure, untouched by human eyes. I want to go to these places, the quiet, timeless, ageless places, and sit, letting silence and solitude be my teachers. I can't remember if if the desert one was a survivor man that he ended short. I think it might have been. There was a desert one where there was a car and he took some supplies out of the car and kind of cut fuel lines and stuff. Oh, I remember that one. But I think that's the one he didn't... I mean, there might be other ones, but um, I mean, if you can't find water... That's it. Game over. You're done. Yeah. Well, remember that, kids. Yeah. Because that's coming up in a little while. Okay. (laughs) Okay. That's, you know, I just want to say, Evan, why didn't you choose to go find yourself in like the Rocky Mountains or something? Or do the Appalachian Trail or something. Yeah, where there's just stuff to eat everywhere and water, you know, flowing in creeks and streams and rivers and ponds and lakes. And Well, I mean, I will <laughs> say I love the Southwest, so... I mean, you do? I, yeah, I mean, I could see the allure of it, but man, I don't know. Wouldn't go backpacking out there probably. Hell no. Day hikes. I wouldn't after uh, this... Okay. Hopefully a lot of other people won't. Yeah. Well, as poetic as his response was, Evan's fans' concerns were not unfounded. The place where he was going experienced daily temperatures of up to 120 degrees, and the terrain was harsh and unforgiving. Still, he pressed on at September 2nd, posted, quote, It's Tuesday night. Tomorrow I go out into the desert. It has taken over a month to get all the gear together. The preparation for this adventure took far longer than I expected. I've never done this before, so I took my time reading books, studying the land, and researching gear. A few weeks of solitude in the deep desert, and then back to civilization and back to training. Okay. So it sounds like he did his homework. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's done that before with the fighting, so you wouldn't wouldn't count him out. Yeah. He'd always been able to pull off kind of whatever he tried. Yeah. Even if he didn't really prepare for it. But I just wonder if he has that alcoholism scar that comes back at the at a bad time, you know, when he's trying to do this. Well, I'm just kind of guessing. Some people think, and we'll examine that too. Well, actually, I'll, I will actually examine it and I'll ask you guys what you think. Okay. Because that's, that's a good point. The next day after posting this, Evan loaded his gear onto a motorcycle and left the safety of Oceanside towards the open desert. He arrived at his chosen campsite that day and set up camp. The next day, he planned to hike to an area called Clap Spring to replenish his water supply. On the next day, the 4th, at 3.26 p.m., Evan sent a text to a friend named Jorge Gayoso that read, and I quote, At Clap Spring, almost out of water, we'll try and hike back to camp five miles south and east to Flat Top Mountains after sundown. Okay. 
He then followed with a second message that said, quote, if you don't hear from me by 8 a.m., call for help. So, Ivan, you're a pretty avid hiker. So, well, I used to be. Well, I mean, give us a rundown on yeah. the scope of that. Well, I mean, I, I, not even to be specific about that, but I just know from reading and watching those shows, like, especially Survivor Man, because I think he's legit. It's like, if you can imagine anything that would happen in your house, you're prepared for it most of the time. And if you're not, you, you can go to the store. I mean, a small cut, you know, anything like that. I mean, but when it comes to that situation, any small thing becomes could become life or death. So, and then throw into the mix the lack of water. That text almost sounds to me like something you might send when you're extremely dehydrated. You start, your mind starts, you know, doing weird things to you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've, obviously I'm not saying that's a weird thing for him to send because it's probably the truth, but like the desperation type of thing. And he must have, I mean, to be that tough of a guy and to send that, that's, that shows extreme desperation. And we're talking five miles in temperatures that were pushing 120 degrees. Yeah. And I forgot what the rate is, but your rate of sweat is so many gallons like per hour or whatever, not gallons per hour, but you know, you could, it'd be like a decimal probably. But even if you had some water, it may not be enough. Well, and also I watched uh, another video on this where a guy went and backtracked kind of the the route that Evan took during a cooler time of year, by the mm-hmm. way. But he said even the terrain, you know, hiking is crazy because you can exert so much more energy just based on the terrain. Sure. So if it's just a nice smooth trail or if it's grass, okay. But then if you do that exact same route on pebbles and rocks, you're doing two, probably what, two or three times yeah. as much because every step takes calculations and sure. different extra movements where you're not. And that's how this, this was very unforgiving terrain. Let's throw in something like a very slight sprained ankle or a very slight knee injury, maybe from a fight or, mm. or anything like that, you know, or maybe uh, something from the alcoholism, some kind of side effect from that that would make you not be efficient like with water usage. Yeah. Your body's just not, you know, it doesn't regulate correctly. Yeah. Uh, maybe it doesn't regulate heat correctly. I mean, there's so many variables. I mean, it's not, it's not super surprising, unfortunate, but not surprising. True. Anyway, well, I'm not an expert by the, by any means, but. Well, I mean, you know, I just said that because you've done, you've probably done more hiking than Sam and I. So. Yeah, actually <laughs> there, there was a time my friend and I hiked, uh, the Buffalo river trail in, we just had about four miles on the on the tail end whenever this thing happened. We didn't read the elevation maps right, and it was just a s- slow, steady grade. That first, you know, first little bit didn't matter, but you just got so tired of seeing this hill in front of you. <laughs> and it, to the point where we were like, could we leave our packs here and, like, go back to camp and drink water and feel better and come back later and get our packs? But then we're like, no, then we have to do it again. Yeah. So. So it was like, okay, I need to make it to that tree, and then I'll take a breather. So you could see a tree like 100 yards away. So you'd make it to the tree, and you would lean on the tree and breathe a little bit. So that's kind of how we got through it, just like little segments like that. And plus, it didn't help that there was this guy, and my friend and I still joke about it to this day, that this guy, we saw him, and you know, I kind of knew how far it was, but I thought, hey, I'll ask somebody that's coming the opposite direction how far it is to our camp. And he said, oh, it's only... I don't know. It's only like a mile or so. You you guys almost have it. It was not a mile. <laughs> it was not. It was probably three. And and 
and and it was summer. It's in the woods, so we're shaded, but still, it was uh, it was in July. Yeah. So uh, we were we were trash talking that guy. It's still a humid area. Yes. Oh yeah, and, and you know humidity as you as you as you sweat, it's supposed to evaporate and pull heat off your body. That's how sweat works. But if it's super humid, the air can only hold so much water, so it doesn't pull away from you as fast as it should. So your sweat just sets on you, and that is terrible. And you guys know that. Well, hell, the the hike that my daughter and I took. Yeah, you recommended that trail. Uh, up by Jasper. Oh, Lost Valley. Yeah, yeah. One. That trail is amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's great for kids and stuff. We're not. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. It's not a severe trail. Yeah. The last part of it is so. Yes, I was gonna say the last part. There's almost vertical places. Yeah. Where you're almost like your belly's on the rocks and you're climbing. And my daughter's yeah. like, "Is this the trail?" And I was like, "It looks like it still is." Up to the falls. That's yeah. That's that's pretty. Oh, the falls are kind of sketchy, but it's worth it. But see, that wasn't even. That's not. That's not an expert trail by any means and mm-hmm. Lexi and I were freaking drenched we're talking like sweat dripping off our earlobes yeah. when we got back to the car f- doing the whole loop my god yeah no it's it's definitely you know you're burning so many calories uh the whole whole thing about backpacking though what you'll read in backpacking magazines is if you have some kind of thing to wear like I can't have this gluten or it will do this to me or I can't have this red meat or I can't have this hikers say or backpackers say yeah, get into backpacking and take whatever you want because you're going to burn so many calories and you're going to everything's going to cycle through you. Like get to that campsite and the uh, another awesome thing about it is like even a cheap beer. Like if someone's like, "Here, well, we'll have natural light," and you've hiked all day, and like, "Oh my, what? This is like the best beer I've ever had." <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy, but I mean, yeah, you could eat what you want, you could drink what you want. So that's the solution. If if uh, if you're a junk food junkie, just be a backpacker. There then it go. won't matter. There you go. Yeah, because your body's like, I'm converting this directly. We don't have to worry about it. But what what what's funny about it is, is a lot of backpackers they will even still eat really healthy because I almost feel like they're kind of connecting with nature and they're trying to mm. do like paleo and eat what you can kind of muster. You know, it would make sense. Yeah, because once you get, it would be weird once you get halfway through your hike, you like pull out a. Twinkie or something. Yeah, <laughs> Cliff bars are pretty amazing out there, and you know we. Yeah, yeah. We we stopped and got like the basic stuff. We got beef jerky. Yeah, and I think we got some Gardettos. Yeah, and then some trail mix. Yeah, so that was yeah. our jam. <laughs> yeah, that protein feels really good out there. The, yes, it the does. Jerky. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not an expert, but I know a little bit. You you've done like I said, you've done more than anyone else in this room. So yeah. that's why I can. We should go camping sometimes. I got so much gear. We get. I could set you guys up. Let's go camping. Let's do a Don of Mantis camping trip. Sam, you down? Sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's down. What if I down. bring you a outdoor woodsy control board? Can yeah. I take my king size bed with me? <laughs> you can take my twin and my camper. Ivan and I uh, went camping down by Lake Weddington one time, and we literally just laid on the rocks and slept by on the bank. Yeah, that was a long time ago, and that's when I had zero gear. Yeah. No, yeah. Apparently, we didn't even have sleeping bags, and I woke up with weird rashes on me from bug bites. So yeah. Don't want to do that yeah. again. Don't recommend that. <laughs> also, we built a small fire and drank copious amounts of beer and played guitar around it, and that probably helped us sleep in the gravel. Yeah. After so many beers, yeah. you don't really care. <laughs> yeah, I think I had a piece of foam or something. Must have. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I, laid, I had, my, had my head laid on my guitar like a pillow. Jesse was there. Yeah, Jesse came too. Yeah. Remember that, Jesse? If you're listening, that was a fun time. Yeah. 
So yeah, these these two messages following these, uh, Jorge tried to call Evan several times, but he never got an answer. So cell reception in Evan's area was spotty, and phone calls rarely got through. However, texts usually did seem to go through okay. So I remember those days. You remember when you could text somebody but you couldn't call them at all? Like I guess maybe the text message just kind of sits there and maybe keeps trying to send, and then eventually does. But I do remember that, especially back in those days. That makes Seems sense. like they kind of both work now. Yeah. More towers and stuff. It makes sense back then, though, yeah, because a call would require, like, a constant connection. Yeah. And a text is more just like a drop. Like, yeah, beep. I don't know. And some sometimes your phone would go dead trying to send text or connect mm-hmm. to networks. Mm-hmm. So it's not clear whether or not Evan wasn't answering because he wasn't physically able to or because the calls were not getting through. We don't know. Mm-hmm. One call that did get through, though, oddly enough, was from another friend of uh, Evan's, whose name was Wade Goldston. Goldston, that is. Uh, who spoke regularly with Evan, and, uh, you know, he wanted to know how the trip was going. He was just calling to be like, oh, yeah, uh, Evan was doing that thing in the desert. I'm going to call him and see. Because yeah. he, he said they spoke all the time. Yeah. He said Evan answered and was surprised that he got any signal. And when Wade asked him how it was going, Evan replied, Wade, I think I'm dying of thirst, just before the signal was lost. Oh, no. Yes. Dang, how'd you like to... Ah, I can't imagine. And he couldn't get him back. It was it was bad. Huh. At 9 a.m. the next morning, Jorge did as Evan had asked and called the Oceanside PD to file a missing persons report. Because remember, he had not answered any phone calls since. However, they were unfamiliar with the exact location of Clap Spring and passed the call on to the San Diego County Sheriff's Office. After some poking around on a map, the San Diego Sheriff's Office finally discovered that Clap Spring was in Imperial County, so they called the Imperial County Sheriff's Office. Imperial County immediately sends deputies and search dogs to the area, and they even do a flyover in a search aircraft, probably wasn't a beachcraft, but they saw no sign of Evan. Then at 4 p.m. that day, a search team called De Anza, I believe, Rescue, De Anza Rescue, they were called, and they sent two teams, one led by Jeff Green, who we'll be talking about more, uh, to the area. They searched till dark and started again the next morning, and at 10.30 a.m. on Saturday, September 6th, Evan's campsite was located. There were no fresh tracks around the site, so Evan had not been there in the previous day or so. There was plenty of water stored at the site, along with a cover, a cot, his motorcycle, a chair, and some supplies. So he had plenty of water there. Wow. From the camp... Jeff Green and one team headed north towards Clap Spring. Or it might be Clap Springs, but I think it's Clap Spring. While another team made their way towards them from the site, uh, from the south. So they were hoping to meet in the middle and okay. maybe find them somewhere. Like a sweep, yeah. Exactly. Their hope was that they'd find Evan somewhere in the middle, and at noon that day, a helicopter joined the search and discovered footprints in, the, in a wash. But they veered off towards a mountain and then disappeared. They knew that Evan had not been at his campsite since Thursday and that he was nearly out of water that day and that he had now been in the 110-degree desert heat for three days, most of which uh, he had no water. The searchers knew they were now on a recovery mission, not a rescue mission. On Sunday the 7th, a red water bag matching ones found at Evan's campsite was found on the side of a mountain. Around noon the next day, Monday, while running a grid search pattern, the helicopter located the body of Evan Tanner approximately one and a quarter miles from his campsite. In a cruel twist, 
Where his life ended, Evan could literally see help. From the hill where his body was found, you can plainly see Palo Verde a few miles away. Now, Palo Verde is a small desert outpost uh, of like 180 people. Huh. But he would have been helped for sure. Yeah. I mean, not many people, but still it had air conditioning, shelter, and food, and water. Palo Verde can also be seen from Clap Spring. And to this day, investigators are stumped as to why Evan did not attempt to go there at any point. Hmm. No one really knows that. The amount of walking he did around his camp would have gotten him to Palo Verde and saved his life if he had only headed in that direction. Yeah. So here's a really interesting part of this. Evan had been carrying a GPS tracker on him the whole time, and it showed that Evan had left his camp at 7.45 a.m. on the 4th and arrived at Clap Spring around noon. After staying there a little over four hours, Evan left Clap Spring to head back to his camp. One potentially fatal flaw in Evan's plan was to replenish his water bags at the spring. Well, despite the name, Clap Spring basically never has water. It's pretty much always dry. Uh, Somebody needs to change that map. (laughs) I'm telling you, or change the name of the damn place. Yeah. At midnight, his track stopped for several hours, and we we can guess probably that he was sleeping. Mm -hmm. Early the next morning, it begins again, but was very erratic, basically scrambling around in a half-mile area, climbing to the tops of hills, then back up, down, then back up. A lot of wasted energy. Tons. Yeah, and and what's bad about GPS, when you get around tall rocks, you get, like, signal bounce, and it's not real accurate, so some of that will always be kind of probably a mystery. Open land, it works great, but uh, it's all about, like, your device sends a signal to a satellite, and it times it, so then it sends it to two or three more satellites and gets, like, times all those signals, and based on that math... And the satellites know where they are. They can tell you right where you are. Okay. So yeah. so it was fairly accurate, probably? Yeah, but until you get into rocks. Oh. It, like big rocks. I mean, then the signal, think about it, it hits the rock and then bounces up, mm. delays it like a millisecond. Then it makes it look like you're in another place. Okay. I got you. So that was probably messing with them. If it had a readout for him to look at, you know, it might have messed with them for a while. Yeah. Well, you know, something else, too. Evan was no doubt delirious and hallucinating from dehydration at sure. this time. And yes. Sh- yeah, struggling to walk. As his organs began to shut down, the last text message Evan typed, it was still on his phone. He had typed it, but it never had sent. And it was only three words, I need help. So it was no secret that Evan had made this trek into the desert. He talked about it a lot on you know, his, in his plans and preparations. He talked about it on his blog. So word had quickly gotten out that he was missing. And likewise, when he was found, that word spread quickly too. Considering Evan's decades-long battle with alcohol and his bouts of depression, pretty early on, rumors started to swirl that the desert trip was a thinly-veiled suicide mission. Hmm. In fact, many assumed this at first, but they didn't yet have all the information. Something else that was assumed early on is that Evan was drinking in the desert and died because he'd gotten drunk and wandered away from camp. Well, when alcohol was found in his body, these claims only grew. However, the amount of alcohol found in his body was only 0.08%. And unbeknownst to most people, alcohol is a natural byproduct of our body's decomposition process. So the presence of this amount in Evan's body is not indicative of alcohol consumption. Okay. 
It could very well have, and I, and I watched an interview with the uh, the pathologist who did that. He said this this amount is pretty normal in a body as decomposed as his, because you know it had been a few days and he was in the sun. Yeah, I won't describe what his body was like, but it was pretty bad. Yeah. So, also, no alcohol or containers of any kind were found in or anywhere near Evans' camp. Add the fact that literally no one in Evans' life saw him drink in the last few months of uh, before his death. And it does seem like he had really set a date for sobriety and had stuck to it. That's what it seems like. Evan had conquered everything he set out to in his life, even the bottle at that point. His death was ruled accidental and cause of death was heat exposure. Yeah. So I'll kind of end with this. Um, A year before Evan's death, one of his blog readers had an eerily accurate analysis of his blog and they wrote this. I can't say what it is, but something in that awkward prose makes me worried for Evan Tanner. I don't know him personally, but I always liked him as a fighter and felt he had a lot of heart, and I'd love to see him make a comeback. But the problem with reading his MySpace blog is it's starting to feel unhealthily voyeuristic. He's so sincere and so direct that it's almost painful. It's like having a stranger tell you that they're starting a conversation with you to alleviate their constant loneliness, rather than them just starting a conversation about an innocuous topic and ignoring the motivations behind it. I can't help but feel bad for Tanner. But at the same time, the blog is so endearingly narcissistic and honest that I feel bad about being entertained by a stranger's slow decline, which is really what's happening for me and the legion of subscribers to his blog. Basically, what I'm saying is, I want someone to help Evan Tanner. I want to see him turn it around, but I, won't, I don't think his MySpace philosophy is going to be enough. Please, someone get him into a program or something. So, and that was a year before. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, when you first hear it, it's easy to take it as like, that's like him pumping himself up. But you need help. You have to have help. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I get it. He's a tough guy, and he's proved to himself that he's a tough guy. You know, the, the one philosophy. And I just think, I think he was better at preaching than practicing. Sure, well. At the end. Yeah. But I mean, having said that, it does seem like he did stop drinking. All the evidence points towards that, towards the end of his life. But there's trauma that made him a drinker in the first place. Yes. So you you lose the alcohol, but without any help, you just deal with the trauma face on. Yeah. I'm not trying to sound like a counselor or anything, but... No, but... You know, something relevant to mention, I think. Well, I like what... <laughs> bring, to bring up Chael Sonnen again, he just puts everything... He was just like... I blame I blame this kid. I blame the kids on the computer. You know, he's like Evan was spouting all this bullshit about going out and finding himself in the hot ass desert with no water, and all these kids on the computer are telling him to go for it. You know, so oh, that's, that's true. Yeah, that's what that's what Chelsea. I mean, not that he doesn't have a point at all. I mean, there are probably some that had to say don't do it though. Out of a big group, you would think. Yeah, and there may have been voices like that, but I don't know. Might have been drowned out. Yeah. Well, indeed, it seems like Evan was far better at telling you how he was going to clean up his life than actually doing it. In one of his last blogs, Evan said of his upcoming trip, and I quote, I'm hoping that very soon I'll be sitting out in the quiet of the desert beneath a deep blue midnight sky, listening to the calm desert breeze. It was motivated by my friend Sarah's talk of treasure hunting and lost gold and my own insatiable appetite for adventure and exploration. I began to imagine what might be found in the deep, reaches of the untracked desert treasure doesn't necessarily refer to something material sure it's going to find himself Mm -hmm. and 
Evan Tanner died at the age of 37, doing what he always did, seeking. So, rest in peace, and that concludes uh, the life of Evan Tanner. Seems pretty clear. I mean, I just think that he had inner demons, and maybe they came out at kind of a bad time and messed with his survival technique or lack thereof. I think he set the insane goal of going out with that little water, you know, and with so few supplies. And I guess maybe he just assumed he would conquer that like he did everything else, you know? I don't know. I guess you think he somewhat lost his bearings, and that's why he was up and down trying to figure out. Maybe he was going up to a high point looking to see where camp was or... Sure, yeah. And then back down, and then he would lose his bearings again, so he'd go back up if that's why his elevation changes were... Well, I just think, yeah, and I just think about out in my shop sometimes in the summer, if I'm out there messing around building something, sometimes it gets so hot, you just like do stupid stuff and make stupid mistakes and you cut off a board and then you try to use the wrong side and, you know, you're using the cutoff piece that's on the ground and you're, well, with this fit, I measured it six times that it's like, oh, it's, I'm so hot and so dumb. Yeah. There's the piece I need. You know, it's like, I mean, you get that and survival's at stake heavy consequences. What's sad is uh, the one of the, re- the research lead team leaders, Jeff Green, he was, I believe it was him that said it. He said, what's sad is probably the last 20, man, maybe it was the last 12 hours that Evan was walking around and going up and down hills. He said, even at that point, I guess dehydration is a weird monster. He said, there's a point where you're a dead man walking. Yeah. He said, there's a point, even, even like, 10 to 12 hours, I want to say, before Evan actually died. He said even that far back, water and help and paramedics could have been like dropped in from a helicopter. He still wouldn't have lived. He yeah. said there's a point where you're a dead man walking. It's it's There's a point of no return with dehydration. So that's where Evan was the last probably whole day that he was doing that. And, yeah. and he said the same thing as you guys about the, the, the delirium. Yeah. And you're hallucinating. And I mean... Apparently, it's a horrific way to go. Just horrific. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's there's something they say about water. You you get as much as you think that you need, and you take three times that much. Yeah. You know, um, you're going to need way more than what you think. And the bad thing about hiking when it's hot is you got to carry all that water in. Yeah. You know, and yeah. water weighs something. So it's like... Oh, 8.34 gallons or yeah, so pounds per gallon. Yeah. So you're kind of like setting yourself up for failure if you don't have enough. But you got to listen to the sons of the pioneers. Yeah. Cool, clear water. That's right. Yeah. Good song from the 20s that no one knows. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, that's the life and times of Evan Tanner. So we hope you guys uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, rest in peace. Sad story. Yeah. And uh, everybody, remember to grab that new year by the short and curlies and just make life your bitch. That's right. There we go. Make 2022 your biatch. Night, night. Let me tell you about some fellas I know Named Ivan, Sam, and Joe They got themselves a little podcast, you know They talk about everything under the sun That they find interesting, spooky, or fun And they sure ain't trying to impress no one Remedy to too much time on your answers. Take a little listen to the dawn of Manti.
talk about killers, monsters, and cults. French mates from hell, disappeared folks. Occasionally throw in a few dad jokes. They try to make every story extra nice by adding their own ginger spice. Not one time or two, but thrice. Right, right. The remedy to too much time on you ends is Take a little listen to the dawn of Manti Now I'm sure these fellas will be around for quite a spell Cause there sure ain't no shortage of stories to tell Cause this old world's as weird as hell But hell, even if nobody listens they'd maintain a fine disposition cause shooting the breeze is kind of their mission the remedy to too much time on your ends is take a little listen to the dawn of my the remedy to too much time on your ends is take a little listen to the dawn of my tears.